When you're trying something that hasn't been done before, how do you know you're going in the right direction? From his own accounts, when Thomas Alva Edison was a schoolboy, his teachers dismissed him as saying he was too stupid to learn anything. And for a while in his adult life, it appeared Thomas's teachers were correct. Upon securing gainful employment, Edison would quickly be fired for being non-productive. Then, when he changed direction and ventured forth as an entrepreneur, Edison continued with his losing hand, but only more frequently, allegedly failing thousands of times to create an incandescent light bulb. Laughed at by his rivals, Edison calmly remarked that he had not failed a thousand times. No, he had discovered yet another way the light bulb would not work. Edison believed that by a process of elimination, eventually he would have to land upon the correct way. Which tells us that every single person who has ever climbed to that elusive pedestal we call success all share one thing in common. They never gave up. Failure can lead to success, which leads us to Pixar. So far, they have released 21 feature films, earning over $14 billion worldwide, 15 Academy Awards, with only one of them unfavorably received by critics. Here is Andrew Stanton, co-writer and director of WALL-E at the 2016 Dublin International Film Festival, revealing to Gronia Humphreys how Pixar so consistently avoids failure. You've got to know the right place to dig, and if, and if it's not worth, if you can't sense that there's something that's worth digging for four years, where three of those years, guaranteed, is going to just be miserable. It's just not going to be nice. And what's going to get you out of bed at the end of year three into the last year and still face the day? We start with a blank page with like a germ of an idea, and then we invite everybody in over our shoulder while we just do our really horrible first draft, our really horrible second draft, and, and, and keep putting on really bad versions of the play for years. Wally was about eight drafts yeah. and, and about 10 times of putting on the play. It's still fresh for us to think of this movie as something that's good and works because we've spent three and a half years with a movie that's really not worth showing anybody. Three years of failure for one year of success sounds more of a contradiction than an explanation. Mathematically, it's a losing ratio. However, Pixar have learned from the Tony Award-winning musical Seesaw that it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Talk to any venture capitalist and they will tell you that of the 1,000 entrepreneurs who pitch to them, they select only one or two. Over time then, a venture capitalist will gather, say, 10 companies on a portfolio. Generally speaking, of that 10, one ends up being extremely successful. Two or three do reasonably well, while the remaining six or seven close down. Which means that from pitch to profit, that is the success rate of about 0.3%. So how does the man who co-wrote all four Toy Story pictures, co-wrote and co-directed A Bug's Life, co-wrote and directed Finding Nemo and its sequel, know when to invest in an idea and when to let it slide? Here is Stanton again, this time at a TED Talk session in 2012, revealing the secrets of Pixar's success. We all love stories. We're born for them. Stories affirm who we are. We all want affirmations that our lives have meaning. And nothing does a greater affirmation than when we connect through stories. It can cross the barriers of time, past, present, and future, and allow us to experience the similarities between ourselves and through others, real and imagined. And the way I like to interpret that is probably the greatest story commandment. Make me care. Please, emotionally, intellectually, aesthetically, just make me care. That reminds me of Pixar's mission statement, which in part reads, 
to develop computer-animated feature films with memorable characters and heartwarming stories that appeal to audiences of all ages. Let's focus on two of those factors, heartwarming and audiences of all ages. Heartwarming means positive, upbeat and constructive. And audiences of all ages means not just family or friends, but community. That may sound simple, but really it isn't, especially when you consider how Pixar go about telling their stories. I mean, how many Pixar films have human characters central to the story? The Incredibles, Up, Brave, Coco. Ah, mira, mira, they're setting up for tonight. The music competition for Dia de Muertos. You want to be like your hero? You should sign up. Uh-uh, my family would freak. Look, if you're too scared, then well, have fun making shoes. Come on, what did De La Cruz always say? Seize your moment? The other Pixar films? Animals, insects, monsters, toys and machines. Just like their parent company, Disney, whose most famous characters are a mouse, a duck, a puppet, a baby elephant, a deer, a mermaid, a lion and a candlestick. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin around your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. So how do you get audiences to care about, connect with, and construct positive feelings for things that are completely alien to our own identity? There lies the Pixar paradox. Animation is by its very nature unreal, which means watching it requires not so much a suspension of disbelief as an engagement of imagination. An animated film insists we adapt our perception to fit the reality of what we are seeing. We don't just sit back and watch, we engage and lean into the picture. Which brings me back to the mission statement. Combine heartwarming and audiences of all ages and you connect with the characters. And what is Wally about but a robot reaching out to and connecting with another robot? Now, one way Stanton and his co-writer Jim Reardon ensured audiences connect with Wally is to mould his shape so it resembles the human form. Limbs, torso, a head, and above all, big eyes. Have you ever noticed how animated characters always have big and expressive eyes? But that's more about the shape of the character than it is about the essence of the character, not to mention plot. So how did Stanton and Reardon get us to connect with a robot character? Well, action is character. So they moulded Wally's actions to resemble human behaviour. Which means that when he looks at an object, he picks it up, examines it, is confused by it, wonders what its function is, experiments to what it might be, and then decides whether it has value or whether it is junk. And in those actions, Wally is displaying a variety of human behaviours. Curiosity, imagination, decision. But here is where Stanton elevated Wally's actions from mere mechanical onto a human level. As a waste allocation load lifter earth class, he has been programmed to compact waste and nothing more. But over time, as all the other loaders broke down or ceased to function, Wally continued on regardless, fulfilling his brief. But sometime during all the centuries he was been doing that, Wally began to gather things from the piles of waste a Rubik's Cube, an iPod, a television screen, and take them into his dwelling to make the space homely. It's something we all do. 
He even suspends fairy lights from the ceiling. And then he puts on a VHS cassette of the musical Hello Dolly. More than that, Wally has befriended a cockroach. He brings it with him while working. He ensures it is safely indoors when the dust storms blow over the city. And he even feeds the chirpy little thing non-biodegradable Krispy Kremes. Little Wally has somehow developed empathy. Why? Perhaps an answer comes from him watching Hello Dolly. The particular clip shows Cornelius and Irene, played by Michael Crawford and Marianne McAndrew, singing and dancing together. Wally begins imitating their behaviour, moving his arms about, shuffling his wheels and, in a marvellous moment, improvising a hubcap so it mimics a boater hat. Clearly, Wally wants, well, not to be human, but to do what humans do, hold hands. So Wally is a lonely robot yearning for a companion, a connection. For me, that unites Wally with this story about a young boy who is so lonely, so broken by his parents' divorce, that he befriends an alien. Elliot? Elliot? I taught him how to talk now. He can talk now. Elliot. Look what he brought up here all by himself. What's he need this stuff for? Spielberg granted E.T. the power of speech, but Stanton got us to connect with Wally inside 10 minutes without him uttering a single word. Stanton did all that by getting Wally to move in a way that resembles human behaviour. Here is the former CCO and founder of Pixar Animation, John Lasseter, back in 2006, talking to Peter Travers on The Charlie Rose Show. I love bringing an inanimate object to life. And as you know, so many of my movies and even my short films are kind of about that. Um, one of the things I always do is study the object. And one of the first things you do is you identify and bring, bring a character to life is figure out where the face is of a character because that is a window to the soul of the character. That's where you get a lot of acting from. Mm -hmm. And because if you move a character with just the head kind of moving with the body, it looks robotic. But as soon as you kind of lead, lead the head with the character, it starts looking like it's thinking. That's the goal of character animation, to make an object look like all of its movements are generated by that character's own thought process. Mm -hmm. you, you want to make the hands of the animator just invisible. You want these characters to come alive on the screen. Now, I said Wally doesn't utter a single word. That is true, at least until 20 minutes in. And even then, we can just about recognise the sounds coming from his... speakers? He has encountered Eve, the extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator, and while she... Wait a minute. How did Stanton and his team of animators persuade us to attribute a gender to either of these robots? Is it because of their names? Or is it something else? Either way, I consider that just another example of how deeply Stanton has connected us with the characters. But even without having those characters talk, Stanton has attributed to them sounds that convey to us what they are thinking and feeling. Try watching Wally with the sound turned down and you'll realise that people who claim it plays like a silent movie really don't appreciate the high artistry needed across every level of film. Without the sound, you're missing half the picture. And as far as the story's momentum goes, it loses half its energy as well. The film's sound designer was Ben Burt, who so far has received four Academy Awards for sound effects editing on Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., 
and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. For Wally, Bert had an unusually long, three-year lead-in time, in the process creating over 2,000 separate sound files and subsequently earning yet more nominations. Here he is in 2008, talking on the YouTube channel Audience Productions about creating sounds that will resonate emotionally. What we did was um, I would go into the studio and make sounds as an audition. Um, and we took those sounds and gave them to animators and they did tests and actually animated little simple actions. But by doing those experiments, everybody participated in the character development. Um, they could listen to the sounds and be inspired by what I was doing. I could see their capabilities right away and, you know, oh my gosh, look, look, look what they can do in communicating an emotion by just the pose of Wally's head. Um, a stance or something like that. And so we went back and forth over a long period of time developing characters with both visually and with their sounds at the same time. Clearly then, with Stanton and Reardon taking three years to develop and animate the story, Making Wally was a trial and error, figure it out as they go, process of elimination. And that is a good description of what screenwriting really is. You're not so much telling a story as much as solving story problems problems you created for yourself in the first place. But since you created the problem, you can solve the problem, either by rewriting the scene or simply eliminating it altogether to create a new one. A way to do both of those things is to establish an emotional tone to your story. Consider the job with which Wally has been tasked, cleaning up the planet. Now consider other films that have presented a post-apocalyptic world. It is exactly 30 minutes since the corrective bombs were detonated. Within the next few hours, the world will know whether this is the end or another beginning, the rebirth of man or his final obituary. Val Guest's The Day the Earth Caught Fire led the way for, amongst others, Franklin J. Schaffner's Planet of the Apes, Richard Fleischer's Soul in Green, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, George Miller's Mad Max series, Kevin Reynolds' Waterworld, Steven Spielberg's AI, Artificial Intelligence, and Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer. As bleak as all those visions are, none of them began with a planet abandoned by humankind. So, how did Stanton and Reardon solve that story problem they had created for themselves? Tone. They instilled in Wally the values found in Pixar's mission statement. Heartwarming. That tone means upbeat, it means positivity. It means being constructive. The one thing that unites every single Pixar lead character, whether it be Buzz, Woody and Bo Peep, Flick and Princess Atta, Sully and Mike, Marlon and Dory, Elastigirl, Lightning McQueen, Remy and Alfredo, Merida, Miguel, Carl Friedrichsen and Russell, is their underlying enthusiastic drive to get things done, even in the face of the most severe adversity. They are all solution-orientated personalities, which brings me back to the very first element in Pixar's mission statement, memorable characters. And what do memorable characters do? Their real function is to embody the story's theme. Here is Stanton once again from his TED talk. I took a seminar in this year with an acting teacher named Judith Weston, and I learned a key insight to character. She believed that all well-drawn characters have a spine. And the idea is that the character has an inner motor a dominant, unconscious goal that they're striving for, an itch that they can't scratch. I took to this like a duck to water. Wally's was to find the beauty. Marlin's, the father in Finding Nemo, was to prevent harm. 
As parents, you're always learning who your children are, they're learning who they are, and you're still learning who you are. So we're all learning all the time. And that's why change is fundamental in story. If things go static, stories die, because life is never static. A strong theme is always running through a well-told story. So here is the theme, if not the ultimate theme, in not only every Pixar film, but the most enduring of Disney's animated features as well. I don't think they are just about connecting with viewers. I think the theme is about connecting viewers with other viewers. And I think that theme means recognizing ourselves in one another. Not just our fellow human beings, but our fellow creatures. Everything from a mouse to a duck, a baby elephant, a baby deer, a lion cub, a fish, a rat, and a bug. And in Wally, that theme means recognizing our connection to the world around us. Wally.